0: When I was a kid, woo was everywhere. I was a devout watcher of In Search Of, hosted by Leonard Nimoy, and I had many books on all sorts of things, UFOs, Bigfoot, and the Bermuda Triangle. Those of us who grew up with the Bermuda Triangle being mentioned all the time may wonder, hey, whatever happened with that anyway? That's what we're going to look at in this episode of Conspiracy Clearinghouse. Down, down, in, Bermuda, down in Bermuda, it's, it's easy, easy to believe, to believe, the, believe the, the Devil's, devil's Triangle. triangle. Right, right. The title comes from a lyric in a 1974 song by Fleetwood Mac called The Bermuda Triangle on the album Heroes Are Hard to Find. It is not a great song, and that was one year before Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham joined the band, so you can kind of see why new
1: blood was needed.
0: Well, look at the Bermuda Triangle and a bunch of other things as well. It seems unfair that Bermuda gets all the press when in fact the Triangle is made of three points and Puerto Rico and Miami are also part of this area of mystery. But maybe people just like to say Bermuda. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. You can subscribe and review us on IMDb. And if you like what we do, you can donate via our Buy Me a Coffee page.
1: You leave the world behind and enter a large chamber, filled with boxes and crates as far as the eye can see. Welcome to The Conspiracy Conspiracy Clearinghouse, the podcast that takes a rather skeptical look at conspiracies and mysteries. Each episode will examine various conspiracy theories, most of which are not true, a few of which might be a little bit true, and even a couple that turned out, in fact, to be true.
0: Frontier, Frontier. a 1962 album by the San Francisco folk pop group, the Kingston Trio, who helped start the folk revival in the late 50s and through the 60s. It all sort of starts on September 17, 1950, when Edward Van Winkle Jones, a guy with a great name and who was a writer for Associated Press, got a rather short article published in the Miami Herald titled, Seize Puzzles Still Baffle Men in Push-Button Age. It starts with a brief mention of the disappearance of a 350-foot freighter named the Sandra that sailed from Miami, Florida to Savannah, Georgia, where it picked up 300 tons of insecticide and then turned south bound for Venezuela. The ship disappeared with its entire cargo and 12-man crew. He then mentions a plane that left Puerto Rico bound for Miami with 32 people on board, two of them babies, that sent in a radio report at four in the morning on December 27th, 1948, saying they were just 50 miles out from Miami, but they never landed and were never heard from again. He goes on to mention more disappearances. On January 18th, 1949, the British airliner, the Ariel, en route from London to Chile, vanished shortly after a refueling stop in Bermuda, as it was flying over a group of U.S. naval ships conducting maneuvers. Two weeks later, on January 31st, the Star Tiger, another British plane, radioed that they were about to begin their approach to Bermuda, but they never landed. 29 people were aboard. Back on December 5th, 1945, five U.S. Navy torpedo planes took off from an airbase in Fort Lauderdale for a training flight and never returned a large PBM rescue plane was sent out to look for them, and it also vanished. The 14 torpedo plane crew and the 13 on board the PBM were never seen again. This is known today as the famous disappearance of Flight 19. Jones then drew a map of all the disappearances and the routes that they followed. And that was that. Two years later, in October 1952, George X. Sand wrote an article for Fate magazine called See Mystery at Our Back Door, detailing some of the same mysteries that Edward Van Winkle Jones had detailed and adding a few new ones, though in much more flowery prose that included hints that there might be some sort of supernatural force responsible. He also mentions Flight 19, which was again written about in the April 1962 issue of American Legion magazine by Alan W. Eckert, normally a writer of historical novels and plays. Eckert must have had some contacts at the Navy because he writes that the flight leader of Flight 19 had radioed that the seawater was all green with no white and that they did not know where they were. He also mentions a comment by the Navy Board of Inquiry that said the aircraft had, quote, flown off to Mars. This comment, no doubt, meant facetiously a way of saying who the hell knows where they went. Then enter Vincent Gaddis a newsman and later public relations guy who went freelance in 1962. In 1964, he wrote up an article for the magazine The Argosy. The article Gaddis contributed was titled The Deadly Bermuda Triangle, which is the first mention of that term. He marked the vertices of the triangle as Miami, Bermuda, and San Juan, Puerto Rico. The next year, he wrote a whole book about it called Invisible Horizons, True Mysteries of the Sea. Gaddis, who would go on to also popularize the idea of spontaneous human combustion, was well known for conflating facts and legends, seeming only to care about how good a story was, not how accurate it was. His article-slash-story in the Argos Sea captured the imaginations of other writers who jumped right into those waters, so to speak. Though several would take liberties as to what points on the map exactly marked the corners of the triangle and exactly how big it was. One guy said it actually went all the way to Ireland. Then you had John Wallace Spencer's 1969 book, Limbo of the Lost, where he also calls it the Devil's Triangle. This book got reprinted in 1973, which started kicking off a flurry of triangle mania. Charles Berlitz, founder of the Berlitz Language Schools and the Berlitz Travel Agency, was a big fan of and weirdness. In 1969, he wrote a book about Atlantis, and in 1974, he published The Bermuda Triangle, which was a huge success, selling more than 200 million copies in 30 countries. He said he first heard about the area when he noticed an unusually large number of people who were using his travel agency requesting not to fly over or sail in these waters. Berlitz would later be one of the very first people to write about the Philadelphia Experiment, finding Noah's Ark, Roswell, and various 1999 doomsday predictions. In many ways, he could be considered one of the fathers of the 1970s boom in the popularity of woo and conspiracies, or woo-spiracies, if you will. Also in 1974, deep-sea diver and ghost hunter Richard Weiner came out with his book on the subject, The Devil's Triangle. He followed this up the next year with the creatively named The Devil's Triangle 2 and 1977's From the Devil's Triangle to the Devil's Jaw. He had previously produced a documentary film back in 1971 narrated by Vincent Price called The Devil's Triangle in which he specifically suggests space aliens are the ones responsible for these disappearances. With so much chatter about the Bermuda or Devil's Triangle, research librarian and pilot Larry Cush decided to write The Bermuda Triangle Mystery Solved in 1975. This work took a critical eye to the books by Gaddis, Berlitz, and Weiner, showing that their accounts often had differing details or even contradicted one another, that some things they claimed to be mysteries were nothing of the sort, that sometimes they said something had disappeared when in fact it hadn't, and that there's ample documentary evidence for what actually did happen. Plus, several of the incidents that they say happened within the stated borders of the triangle didn't happen in those borders at all. After conducting actual research, he found that the number of boats and planes disappearing in this area of the ocean was not statistically higher than anywhere else, that this area is rife with extreme weather patterns like cyclones, many of which form there, and that basically this whole trope was made up for sensationalism and profit. Thus, the Bermuda Triangle was now solved. Having dealt with that subject, he went on to write a cookbook about how to use popcorn in a number of interesting ways, and a book about exercising your thighs. Cush's findings were echoed in a 1976 BBC Horizon documentary, which was then re-edited for the TV show Nova, with the title The Case of the Bermuda Triangle, the last episode of that show's third season. Burlitz and Weiner were both interviewed in that, as was Cush, who says some pretty awesome things that are just as relevant to today's conspirosphere as they were back then. He references an amusing thing he'd read once, quote, Some people like to drink from the fountain of knowledge, and others only gargle. And this is what's happening. I think we're turning into a world of garglers who just want to pretend that we're thinking very deeply, but we're not. He then goes on to say that most people who come across these books and films never even think to question their veracity. And then he comes out with this gem, quote, Suppose, for instance, that I have proof that a parrot has been kidnapped by an extraterrestrial and is being held captive to teach the extraterrestrial's earthling language, and I challenge you to prove that it is not true. I'll even allow you to use Einstein's theory of relativity if you like. But there is no way that you can prove that it is not true. I think it's unfortunate that all it requires for something to become part of what we call the mass public mind is all we need is for someone to suggest it or to ask the question, you know, could it be that Rhett Butler's still alive and well, living in Ohio somewhere? The burden of proof should be on the person who says that to prove it's true, show where he got his information. This is the thing basically known as Hitchens Razor, which states, quote, What can be asserted without evidence can also be dismissed without evidence. The burden of proof regarding a claim's truthfulness lies on the person making the claim, not on the person hearing it. This is named for writer Christopher Hitchens, who would often use it to dismiss religious claims. This also correlates with the aphorism known as the Sagan Standard, named after astronomer Carl Sagan, which says, quote, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. This statement, fundamental to the entire concept of the scientific method, is sometimes acronymed to E-C-R-E-E. So Cush would seem to have sort of demolished Gaddis, Berlitz, and Weiner, who didn't really respond. Berlitz did say in a follow-up book, without a trace, that Cush was not entitled to have an opinion on the subject of the Bermuda Triangle because he had never physically visited the area. And that is a truly moronic argument. Strange Brew, a 1967 song by the British rock-powered trio Cream. Yet interest in the triangle continued on for a bit. It was even the subject of the fourth episode of the successful TV show In Search Of and more claims of special insights came out. Followers of Edgar Cayce said that he mentioned Atlantis would be found in 1968, and maybe the Bermuda Triangle is where the ruins of Atlantis are located. The Bimini Road, an underwater rock formation, was touted as proof that this was the site of Atlantis. So, it wasn't a big stretch, therefore, to assume that they maybe had some kind of super-advanced technology that is somehow still active today and that maybe even this malfunctioning technology is what's causing all these disappearances. Other people mentioned UFOs, underwater alien bases, rifts in time, interdimensional tears, natural phenomena that created rogue waves or water spouts, or highly localized magnetic storms. These ideas are much favored by hollow earth folks. But then interest sort of tapered off. It'd be great if this was a story of a few woo meisters peddling their goods to a gullible public and then getting slapped down and discredited by someone who actually knows how to do research. But instead, the methods used by Berlitz and Weiner and Friends got picked up by all sorts of people used to spread all sorts of narratives which they themselves would profit from. By the time the 1980s came around, more interesting woo had come into the mass public mind and garglers all over the country were talking about Roswell and alien abductions and the Philadelphia Experiment and the supposed rise of Satanism in popular media and music and in games like Dungeons and Dragons and Majestic 12 and on and on and on the list went, eventually becoming a number of threads including the New Age movement. And yet, the Bermuda slash Devil's Triangle kind of hung around in the background, lurking against the far wall over by the clam dip that few venture towards. Over the years, someone would sort of remember, oh yeah, what about that whole Bermuda Triangle thing? Insurance company Lloyds of London actually looked into the idea that maybe more ships sink there than anywhere else, and if so, they should probably adjust their rates to be higher for ships passing through those waters. Their investigation found that no, that area does not have more sinkings or disappearances than any other randomly drawn triangle on any nautical map, and so they kept their insurance rates the same. But a good story never really dies, and once in a while someone will trot out Triangalia in an attempt to kickstart their ambition to be perceived as a quote, expert on something. In 2004, a fellow supposedly named Gian J. Quasar, who sometimes goes by the moniker The Real Life Kolchak, there's another 70s reference for all you boomers and Gen Xers out there and everyone else can just look it up. He tried to revive public interest with a 2005 book called Into the Bermuda Triangle, pursuing the truth behind the world's greatest mystery, which he claimed was the results of 20 years of research. In this, he takes some shots at Cush, but mainly just regurgitates the garglings from berlitz about Atlantis and other dimensions and portals and time travel. He wasn't exactly getting lots of calls to come on talk shows, so he followed that up with more books about the Bermuda Triangle and then about Jack the Ripper, The Zodiac Killer, Amelia Earhart, Bigfoot, and a whole book just about Flight 19. Your Haunted Haunted Head, Head. Head. a 1986 song by alt-goth rocker's Concrete Blonde, who started out as a trio. Are there some oddities in this cuneate area of the sea, or is it all just bunkum, inspired by that first short article by Edward Van Winkle Jones? One thing that used to get mentioned a lot was the Sargasso Sea. This is an area of the Atlantic caught in the middle of four strong currents, the North Atlantic Current to the north, the Canary Current to the east, the North Atlantic Equatorial Current to the south, and the Gulf Stream to the west. These create an oceanic gyre and form the only sea on earth with no land boundaries. It gets its name from an unusual brown seaweed that grows in profusion there called sargassum, a Portuguese word from a Latin word that means willow. It was first noted by Christopher Columbus and later by Portuguese sailors, hence the name. Legends grew up the whole region was infested with this macroalgae, and ships attempting to pass through it would get trapped. Columbus himself expressed such concerns in his diary. But these are in fact legends. This seaweed is not just here, but it's all over the Florida Keys, which is way outside the boundaries of the triangle, and only drips of it have ever been found. In the 1920s, Danish explorers found that the Sargasso Sea is the breeding ground of the European eel. The water there is an unusually deep blue color and very clear with visibility up to 200 feet, that's about 60 meters. For sure, it's an evocative place. William Hodgson made mentions of it, as did Jules Verne in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Victor Appleton, one of the pseudonyms used by the Meyer Syndicate, who wrote a whole bunch of uh, Don Sturdy adventures about it. And Ezra Pound even referenced it in a 1915 poem. At least some of the modern interest in the Sargasso comes from British businessman Donald Crowhurst. He was an avid-if amateur sailor and in 1969 decided to compete in the Golden Globe Race, a round-the-world single-man boat race sponsored by the Sunday Times in London. But he hadn't prepared his small craft properly, and he got bogged down in the Sargasso Sea, where his boat began taking on water. He spent a lot of time bailing out the encroaching sea and had no time to get his bearings or to the safety of dry land but he was a proud man and he kept radioing in different coordinates to make it seem like he was still in the race instead of hopelessly lost and stuck. He eventually got the hole plugged, but since he had no idea where he was, he just sort of drifted, slowly dying of dehydration and starvation, and filling his notebook with wild metaphysical ramblings. He eventually descended into a full-blown psychotic episode having arguments with albert einstein and jotting down his revelations of a new understanding for humanity that the universe is a giant cosmic game overseen by advanced cosmic beings who set and maintain the rules that the rest of us creatures must abide by both god and the devil are just such beings however if a human could do the necessary mental and spiritual work, that person could free themselves of the shackles of the game, becoming a sort of honorary cosmic being or god themselves. You would then live in a world made entirely of abstract intelligence, shedding your body to live on as pure energy. Over the course of a week, he wrote 25,000 words. Then, realizing he probably was never going to succeed in shedding his mortal prison, he wrote, quote, I am what I am and I see the nature of my offense. It is finished. It is finished. It is the mercy that last all in caps. He then wrote, quote, "It is the time for your move to begin. I have not need to prolong the game. It has been a good game that must be ended at the garbled hard to read. I will play this game when I choose. I will resign the game 112040. There is no reason for harmful." And then the sentence remains unfinished. Some days later, on July 10th, his boat was found, but he was not. Investigators assumed, after reading his notes, that he jumped overboard and sank down into the unusually clear depths of the Sargasso Sea. All very interesting, but none of this has anything to do with the Bermuda Triangle, and so the Sargasso Sea has no link to the quote-unquote mysteries there. Long Long Way way Down, down. a 1996 song by American alt-pop rock post-grunge trio Goo Goo Dolls. Some have suggested that giant methane bubbles may occasionally take ships out, and if they're big enough, why couldn't they even take out a plane or two? Methane, which is a gas, can sometimes form solids that look like ice and are a mixture of methane and water. There's a hypothesis that maybe sometimes these accumulate and then collapse under their own weight, causing a sort of underwater eruption, sometimes called a mud volcano. Some experiments in Australia back in 2003 suggest that such an eruption could, in fact, release an inordinate amount of methane, which would then sink a pretty good-sized vessel by creating this methane-rich froth on the water's surface that would cause the ship to quickly lose buoyancy. However, this is purely speculative at the moment. As mentioned before, the Gulf Stream is nearby and a vessel sinking from one of these big ocean farts might get swept up in it and sink even faster. The Gulf Stream is an ocean current that starts down in the Gulf of Mexico, flows north and bringing warm water up past Florida and the east coast of North America. When it gets to North Carolina, it heads east, heading out towards Northwest Europe and the North Atlantic Current. About 100 miles northeast of Corvo Island, which is the northernmost island of the Azores, owned by Portugal, kind of smack dab in the middle of the Atlantic between Boston and Lisbon, the Gulf Stream splits. Half goes north, heading towards northern Europe, and the other half goes south, where it joins the Canary Current, which brings warm water from the west coast of Africa back over into the western hemisphere. And the Gulf Stream is zipping along, too. At the surface, it travels as fast as 5.5 miles an hour. That's 9 kilometers an hour. It flows slower the further down you go, and its average speed is about 4 miles an hour, about 6.5 kilometers an hour. And the temperature variations it brings can cause all sorts of odd weather patterns now running along the north edge of the Virgin Islands and just 76 miles north of Puerto Rico just east of Haiti and the Dominican Republic there's an underwater feature known as the Puerto Rico Trench this is often used to mark the boundary between the Atlantic Ocean and the Caribbean Sea The deepest part of this is known as the Milwaukee Deep or Milwaukee Depth, named after the cruiser USS Milwaukee, which discovered it in 1939. The very bottom is somewhere between 8,710 and 8,750 meters. This is the deepest part of the Atlantic Ocean. And so some speculate that maybe the oceanic vortex of the Sargasso Sea and or methane mud volcanoes and or the Gulf Stream and or the Milwaukee Deep all sort of somehow combined to create a perfect place for ships to be sunk and sort of swiffered away into the bottom of the Puerto Rico Trench. Sort of an automatic cleaning system for the ocean. Other people note that the agonic line sometimes passes through the area of the Bermuda Triangle. This is an imaginary line that connects the north and south magnetic poles. Now, in the northern hemisphere, this causes a kind of a weird blank area. So, a suspended needle compass would not be able to register magnetic north and would instead indicate true north. This would, of course, cause navigational errors in vehicles that use such technology. Maybe that's why we don't have so many modern disappearances in the Bermuda Triangle anymore, because we use different tech for navigation, tech that's not affected by the agonic line. Now, the geographic North Pole is where the Earth's axis of rotation meets its surface in the Northern Hemisphere. It lies at 90 degrees north latitude, and from there, all other points are south. This is sometimes called true north. Magnetic north is where the Earth's magnetic field points vertically downward towards the planet's interior. A device such as a magnetic compass is affected by the strong magnetic fields of the whole planet and so points to this spot when north of the equator. However, this spot changes all the time for a number of reasons that Earth scientists seem to understand, but I don't. Since it was first measured in 1831, it has moved north by northwest about 600 miles, 1,100 kilometers, and it has also sped up, now traveling at 34 miles or 55 kilometers a year. And yes, this does mess with navigation a little bit, even if you aren't using a magnetic compass. But we know about it, and so we have our devices compensate. Anyway, this whole thing about the Igonic line has been sometimes used to present a science-y sounding explanation for all the weirdness in the Bermuda Triangle. But the problem is, as mentioned before, there is no weirdness there. It's just a normal area of ocean. In fact, you could draw a triangle anywhere on the Earth's oceans and find the same number of anomalies, proportionate. Now, this is one of the busiest areas in the world for air and ship traffic, so you'd have to adjust for the average traffic flow, but you'd come out to about the same. Hunting Hunting High and and Low low, low, A 1985 album by Norwegian synth-pop trio, Aha. Drawing a bunch of triangles on maps is exactly what some folks have done. Everybody needs a hobby. British biologist and one of the leading figures of the new pseudoscience of cryptozoology, Ivan Sanderson, noted that there seemed to be an unusually high number of disappearances in the Devil's Sea, a swath of water leading south by southeast from Tokyo. In 1945, Zero-F wing commander pilot Shiro Kawamoto was crossing this area when he radioed in, quote, something is happening in the sky, the sky is opening up. His plane was never seen again. Several ships have also gone missing in the region. Now, Sanderson speculated as to the cause, maybe a space-time rift or aberrations in gravity and or magnetic fields or maybe outer space aliens or maybe even a hidden race of people who lived beneath the waves of the ocean. He started poking around more, and in 1968, he came up with the idea of the Vile Vortices, 12 anomalous areas around the globe where odd things frequently happen. These weird events might be disappearances, or UFO sightings, or monsters, or even poltergeists. One of those is the Bermuda Triangle, and the second one was this Japanese Devil's Sea. Sanderson wrote all this up in an article called The Twelve Devil's Graveyards Around the World, published in Saga magazine. Later, Charles Berlitz would expand his own Bermuda Triangle stuff by adding in the Devil's Sea, which he rechristened the Dragon's Triangle. You see, Sanderson reasoned if you took an icosahedron, which is a convex, 20-sided shape with 30 edges and 12 vertices, and you laid this over a map of the Earth just so, you would see the places where the 12 vertices are along the tropics match up perfectly with these areas of highly anomalous behavior. Most of them are over the water, but not all of them. He identifies five along the Tropic of Cancer in the Northern Hemisphere, and five along the Tropic of Capricorn in the Southern Hemisphere, which makes 10, and then he adds in the North and South Poles, which makes 12. Quite a few Woo World fans spend a lot of time looking into these locations, trying to come up with evidence of some sort, but usually they just settle for speculation, which they then present as evidence, which then other people just gargle up. Are these places especially interesting or strange? Let's take a quick look. We've already talked about the Devil's Sea, or Dragon's Triangle, if you prefer, and the Bermuda Triangle, or Devil's Triangle, if you prefer. Let's look at the other locations in the northern hemisphere along the Tropic of Cancer. There's Hawaii's Hamkulia Volcano, which is great, except there is no Hamkulia, as Sanderson and later proponents of the Vile Vortices put it. There is Hamakua, which is a district in the northeast of Hawaii's Big Island, stretching from the volcano Mauna Loa in the center of the island northeast up to Mauna Kea. These are two of the five volcanoes that make up the Big Island. Now, at 10,205 meters, Mauna Kea is technically taller than Mount Everest, which is only 8,849 meters. But that's only true if you measure it from the base to the summit, and most of that mountain is below sea level, so Everest gets the above sea level record. For many years, there have been reports of ships and planes disappearing in this area, strange lights, and general feelings of unease. You see, Hawaii is part of the Ring of Fire, a semicircle 25,000 miles long, that's 40,000 kilometers, that goes around the edge of the Pacific Ocean. It contains 452 volcanoes, or 75% of all volcanoes on Earth. 90% of all earthquakes that ever occur on Earth occur along this ring. Volcanoes also generate electromagnetic effects through a number of causes, which can result in rocks becoming magnetized and sometimes even lightning forming during eruptions. Weird, elongated electrical streams can also sometimes be seen weaving through the air, a combination of electromagnetic disturbances, plasmified rock, and water vapor. But this doesn't just happen at Monokea. This happens all over the place. In the Great Atlas Mountains of Algeria, Stone Age flints have been found as well as 13 megalithic structures known as Jeddars in the Mina River Valley near Tiret. These have square stone bases with angular mounds atop them. Archaeologists think that they were built between the 5th and 7th century CE as tombs for Berber royalty. Older things have been found in the general vicinity as well, including prehistoric fungoid rock art of psychedelic mushrooms found in caves in the Tassilin Algier National Park out in the Sahara Desert, which is now a UNESCO World Heritage Site. This is another vortex. Why? Because it's old and unknown. Mohenjo-daro is the ruins of what was once one of the largest settlements in the Indus Valley and one of the earliest human cities anywhere. Built probably around 2500 BCE by the Indus Valley or Harappan civilization, who spread from Pakistan and northern India all the way to Gujarat and Iran, this Bronze Age city probably had a population of 40,000 at its height. Keep in mind this is at a time when the entire human population of the world was probably around 20 million so proportionately that would be like a city of 27 or 28 million today which would make it the fourth largest city in the world after tokyo delhi and shanghai this civilization arose around the same time as the ancient egyptians the minoans in crete and the pre-columbian caro supe in peru cool but anything weird Well, it kind of looks like sometime around 1700 BCE, about 700 years after it was founded, the entire city was abandoned. Why? Don't know. Maybe the rivers in the area changed their courses and forced everyone to flee. Maybe Aryans from Iran invaded and destroyed everything. One interesting theory is they built using bricks, and these bricks would have to be baked in order to be strong enough to bear weight, which means lots of fires, which means chopping down a lot of trees. This would have loosened the topsoil, no roots to hold it in place, which would mean that floods would be far, far more severe than they had been in the past. Plus, where will all the hundreds of thousands of animals they needed to survive graze if the soil blew away and grass dried up? Probably their own crops failed as well. Their own consumption may have caused an environmental disaster that forced them to leave. It's a pretty interesting theory, but not interesting enough for some people. Some in the Wu world say the city was destroyed by a nuclear bomb detonated by aliens. You see, skeletons have been found here, but all of them are lying face down as if they fell at the exact same moment, pushed towards the ground by a great force. There are no signs of predation on these bones, meaning that through the centuries, animals have shunned them, and the bones have decayed far less one would expect. Plus, there have been high radiation readings in the area. Well, 37 skeletons have been found, but they range over thousands of years. Plus, they were all buried, not just lying around on the ground. That's why animals hadn't got to them. The bones are very well preserved, but that's because the weather here is perfect for preservation, reaching temperatures near 130 degrees Fahrenheit, 54 Celsius in the summer. And there have been no abnormal readings of radiation at that site. Oh yeah, yeah? say the garglers. What about about that that part part of the the Mahabharata Mahabharata that that mentions mentions explosions explosions bright as a thousand thousand suns and afterwards afterwards, survivors losing their teeth and hair? That's that's totally totally nuclear bombs and associated associated fallout. Well, hmm, that's interesting, except that none of that is in the Mahabharata. Some gods are described as being bright as 10,000 suns, but there are no descriptions of explosions or radiation sickness. People who push this claim probably just assume that you won't bother to read the 1.8 million word religious poem to verify their claims. Some say that Mohenjo-daro is the birthplace of Hinduism. After all, the name means Mound of Krishna. Super interesting, except that it doesn't. It means Mound of Dead Men in the Sindhi language and may once have been known as Kukutarma or City of the cockerel. This might be where the chicken originally comes from, the point of diffusion for domesticated chickens that we now find all over the world. It's also possible that maybe chickens had some sort of religious significance and cockfighting was a ritual of some sort, but all of this is pure speculation. So these three places, plus the Bermuda and Dragons Triangles, are in the Northern Hemisphere. In the southern hemisphere, we have the Wharton Basin, which is an oceanic fossil fracture zone in the southern Indian Ocean west of Australia. This region is interesting to geologists, who talk about things like sediment cores, plate tectonics, and subduction. That's not really interesting to anyone else. Now, some say it could be near here that Malaysian Airlines flight MH370 finally ran out of fuel and crashed, But that didn't happen until 2014, and trying to link this area with that plane crash is just a sad attempt to justify its place on the list of vile vortices. Home of the Kanak and tavu people, the Loyalty Islands are part of the French holding of New Caledonia, about 750 miles (1,210 east of Australia. These raised coral atolls are near an underwater double oceanic ridge, and there have been a few notable earthquakes in the area. There are also some pretty tricky currents, making boat navigation challenging. They are known as the islands where time slows down. I'm kidding, that's just the tagline for the tourism industry. The Loyalty Islands are actually quite lovely, and that's kind of really all you can say about them. Now, some note that nearby there is the case of Sandy Island, also part of New Caledonia. Woo garglers like to say that that entire island one day disappeared. In fact, it turned out it had been mistakenly charted for more than a century, initially by Captain Cook, until someone went to take a closer look at it and realized that the earlier maps were wrong and there was no island there. This was actually all talked about in previous episode about Finland and other places not really existing. Heading further east, the mysterious Moai of Easter Island is another of the Vile Vortices. Lots of woo has been spun about these enigmatic statues, including a not-very-good 1994 action-adventure film called Rapa Nui, directed by Kevin Reynolds and co-produced by Kevin Costner, a film that made Siskel and Ebert's worst films of the year list and which made a whopping $305,000 on its $20 million budget. And so, a flop. Much has been said about these statues, including that they were created by a progenitor race that came out of Antarctica when it was tropical, that they were made by aliens, of course, that the island is all that remains of the lost continent of Mu, that it was from here that all modern human languages, writing systems, and cultures originated as part of an eons-long battle against the subterranean-dwelling sons of the Yeti. This from crazed Polish-American artist Stanislav Sukolowski, as part of his Zermatism, which was talked about in a previous episode about the hollow earth. Some say the island itself is triangular in shape and the Moai were used to worship demons, This from Serbian sex-hating young earth creationist Mirojub Petrovic. Or that these statues were built by an ancient globe-spanning culture who also built the Sphinx in Egypt. All of these ideas really just come from the notion Westerners have that it's impossible for earlier primitive people to have made and erected such things, and so there has to be more to the story than meets the eye. It's kind of racist. Another vortex is east of Rio de Janeiro, right around where the Southern Atlantic Anomaly is. This is a spot in the ocean where the Earth's magnetic field is weak and the inner Van Allen belt comes closest to the Earth, getting just 120 miles above the surface. That's 200 kilometers. As a result, there are all kinds of wild magnetic readings in the area. Satellites that fly over here often get scrambled and astronauts on the ISS avoid doing spacewalks when the station is passing over it. And the last vile vortex on the original list stretches east from Mozambique across the Mozambique Channel and includes the southern quarter or so of the island of Madagascar. Not much odd happens here, though it is an important waterway for East African sea trade. And some scientists are curious as to how so many mammals migrated to Madagascar from the African mainland. But other than that, no woo. Fever, Fever to, tell, to Tell, a 2004 album by American garage punk, art punk, post-punk revival trio, Yeah Yeah Yeahs. Not satisfied with these locations, some have tried to tie other areas into this network. After all, they say, the Vile Vortices follow ley lines, and there are lots of ley lines. In fact, people find ley lines wherever they want to, proving what's known in mathematics as Ramsey's Theorem, which says, quote, given enough items to play with you can find pretty much any pattern you want. Ley lines and the quote, discipline of sacred geometry certainly fit in this. Other candidate places that people have tried to relate to the Bermuda Triangle in some way include, the Bridgewater Bridgewater Triangle. Triangle about 30 miles south of Boston, an area of 200 square miles, 420 square kilometers, that has had many reports of UFOs, poltergeists, giant snakes, mothman-type creatures, satanic rituals, animal mutilations, suicides, and a strange creature known as the Pukwaji, a small human-like creature that can turn invisible and also change its shape. These beings were once friendly to humans, but then something happened, and now they aren't. The Bennington Bennington Triangle. Triangle. Quite a few people disappeared in this area of southern Vermont between 1945 and 1950. The weirdness seems to be centered on Glastonbury Mountain, and in addition to vanishings and strange lights, there have been reports of the Bennington Monster, a Bigfoot wannabe. The Nevada Triangle is an area in the Sierra Nevada Mountains with crazy wind patterns that include sudden microbursts and down gusts. This unpredictable weather is thought to be responsible for perhaps as many as 2,000 plane crashes in an area arbitrarily bounded by Reno, Las Vegas, and Fresno. And of course, let us not forget that the ever-mysterious Area 51 is nearby. Maybe that's the real cause of the trouble. The Lake Michigan Triangle, or sometimes just the Michigan Triangle, out in Lake Michigan is an area of numerous shipwrecks and disappearances of both water and aircraft. This is a little bit true, and it's most likely due to unusual wind waves, rip tides, and long tides. Or, woo, if you want to go that route. People taking that direction cite a negative energy vortex due to the intersection of two negative ley lines in the area. Also under the water, there's a strange rock formation of rectangular limestone blocks standing upright in a semicircle about 30 feet across, with one possibly having a petroglyph of a bison or a mastodon on it. Articles breathlessly say they are nine to 10,000 years old, which would make this much older than England's Stonehenge. Take, Take that, that England. England. This is just one of several places in the U.S. dubbed America's Stonehenge. Now, some real scientists actually took a look at it and decided that first off, it was more like 3,000 to 3,500 years old, not nine to 10,000. Maybe it had been placed here by humans back around 1,000 B.C.E., when this was dry land, or it could be a natural formation caused by glacial deposits. That petroglyph that some people think they see might be real, and it might just be the result of the human tendency to see patterns where in fact there are none. The Marysburg Vortex In the eastern part of Lake Ontario, many shipwrecks have been reported over the years, at least 100 and maybe as many as 500 the name comes from a 1980 book by Canadian Hugh F. Cochrane called Gateway to Oblivion. In this, he postulates the existence of, quote, an unknown invisible vortex of forces in what is sometimes known as Lake Ontario's Bermuda Triangle. In the UK, you have the Matlock Triangle and the Falkirk Triangle, each of which has been called at various times by various sources the UFO capital of the world. You also have the Broadhaven Triangle in Wales, where plenty of UFOs have been spotted, and at least on one occasion, a large silver creature was seen by a group of schoolchildren. In Romania, there's the Hoya Forest, where Neolithic settlements dating back to 6500 BCE have been found, but there are so many stories of ghosts, strange lights, and so on that it has been dubbed, you guessed it, the Bermuda Triangle of Romania. In the Chihuahuan Desert in Mexico, there's the Mamipi Silent Zone, or Zone of Silence, which of course has been called the Mexican Bermuda Triangle. Supposedly Americans first got wind of this in 1970 when a missile test conducted at White Sands, New Mexico, went way off course and ended up landing here, 400 miles away. The Americans sent a crew to find and retrieve it. While there, the Yankees noticed that their compasses didn't work, they just spun round and round and round, and they couldn't receive or send any radio signals. They then found out four years earlier a man named Augusto Henry de la Pena was exploring the area for the oil company Pemex, and he too reported irritation that none of his radio equipment would work. He is the one credited with first calling it La Zona del Silencio. The cause is thought to be large amounts of magnetite below ground, and maybe also some stuff left over from meteorite impacts that happened in 1938, 1954, and 1969. Or maybe maybe it's weirder. weirder. After all, strange mutations in local plants and animals have been reported, especially tortoises who develop triangular shapes on their shells. Yes, triangles. triangles. The few people who've grown up in this sparsely populated region are reported to be abnormally tall. And there are many reports on WU websites that talk about a medical study that shows that the local's blood contains unusual substances, though no one has actually ever seen or produced this report. Legends about strange lights and people wandering through the uninhabited region, becoming disoriented, and getting lost abound. When people do get lost, sometimes mysterious tall, blonde, humanoid creatures appear. Speaking good Spanish, these beings ask for water and then disappear, leaving no trace, not even a footprint. When a few people have asked these Nordic aliens, because let's face it, that's where they are, where they're from, they simply say arriba, which means above. Some of the local zoneros certainly seem to buy into this Nordic business. A group called the Research Center of Cosmic Anthropology from the Philosophical School of the Light is one of the groups that meets regularly out here in the wastes, attempting to connect with the Space Brothers or whatever. This particular group believes that the remnants of the lost civilization of Tulumbalam, which was reputedly populated by, quote, yellow Mayans, like maybe blondes, live underground below this part of the desert in a city they call the Land of Magnetism. And maybe they use magnetism and, I don't know, the vril or some other magical substance to do all sorts of cool high-tech things. Also, the local hills in the area are not hills but eroded pyramids. Now, it turns out several legitimate researchers have gone into this area and have reported no problems at all with either radios or navigational equipment. And those triangular patterns on the tortoises totally naturally occurring and not exclusive to the zone of silence. Now, the locals are certainly happy to make money off the notoriety of the place, which does attract some tourists. Maybe they're keeping local legends alive or even just making some of them up or it could be maybe a little bit legit, there are places known as skip zones, areas where radio transmissions just cannot be received. Now, these are naturally occurring areas caused by the ionosphere's height and shape in an area, as well as local ionospheric maximum electron density. Science stuff. Sometimes these skip zones fluctuate, coming and going, and sometimes they're more permanent, like a couple that are in the highlands of Scotland. So draw a triangle on any part of the world map and look into what goes on there and you'll probably find plenty to stimulate your imagination. I often find it a bit sad that so many people feel the need to come up with nonsense like the Bermuda Triangle in order to ignite a sense of wonder. Why just looking at some of the very real places we have here on our planet should be more than enough to amaze and delight anybody. This is especially true when looking at our oceans. As of 2023, only 24.9% of the oceans had been mapped. That's an area about twice the size of Australia. There's a lot we know, but there's a lot we don't know. And yet, just because we don't know everything doesn't mean that any explanation we care to come up with is legitimate or even worthy of serious consideration. If I put down my reading glasses and then can't find them 15 minutes later, there's a fairly narrow band of possible explanations. That a Bigfoot stepped through an interdimensional portal and stole them is way, way down that list. So as always, please use credible sources and stop gargling what the woo conspiracy peddlers are spitting out.
1: Thank you for visiting. The conspiracy clearing house we're closing now but we'll open another crate in the next episode until then thank you for listening